Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 17, the Lord Jesus was teaching. This was at the beginning of his ministry, and he was teaching in Capernaum. In Luke chapter 5 verse 17, it says, One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. What were all these people doing there? We have teachers, Pharisees from every part of Israel, Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem. They had come from everywhere to converge on Capernaum. What do you suppose they were doing there? Well, I described the importance of this convention in a program that I had done on the healing of the Jewish leper. They were here to investigate the circumstances of the healing of the Jewish leper, and I explained that in that program. But in this program, I would like to talk about the next healing that he performed, and that was the healing of the man who was paralyzed. I'd like to talk about that healing that happened after he healed the Jewish leper, but I would definitely like to encourage you to listen to the program I did on the healing of the Jewish leper because this was a divine miracle according to the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed that only the living God himself could heal someone of leprosy, especially someone who was Jewish, who was an Israelite. At no time in the history of Israel had anyone who was an Israelite been healed of leprosy. And so there were laws in the scriptures in Leviticus that had never been performed in the history of Israel. So the significance of that healing was that the Pharisees believed that if leprosy was a divine judgment, only the divine could set someone free of their leprosy. And so on that basis, they believed that if a man, if a Jewish man, was healed of leprosy, then that would be the signal, that would be an indication that the Messiah was present, that the Messiah had arrived. So they were investigating the circumstances of the healing of the Jewish leper. Now, there were some rules that they imposed upon themselves to govern their investigation. And one of the most important rules that they had was that they would not go and ask any questions concerning the matter that they were investigating. They could make the announcement that they were investigating the circumstances, but they could not ask any leading questions or any questions of any kind in order to ensure that they did not influence the facts concerning the matter that they were investigating. So in this stage, in this stage of their investigation, they would not be allowed to speak according to their own beliefs. They would restrain themselves, they would restrict themselves, and they would not ask any questions, they would not do anything that would potentially damage or influence the facts that they were trying to find out, that they were trying to obtain information about. And so that was a restriction that they put upon themselves. And this is a very important situation now that these people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they have come to Capernaum to investigate the circumstances and they are going to be confronted with the Lord Jesus in his messianic context. 
Now, of course, there was no prophecy that was given that explicitly stated that the Messiah would heal a Jewish leper. There was no prophecy concerning that. This is an exclusive belief of the Pharisees. And so the Lord Jesus was under no obligation. He was under no obligation to perform this miracle because there was no prophecy that he was fulfilling. There was no foreshadowing in the law or in the writings that he was fulfilling, that he was bringing out and showing the reality of. There was no foreshadowing involved here. There was no prophecy here. This was something that he did explicitly in order to reach out to the people on the basis of what they believed, on the basis of their beliefs, not according to the law or the prophets. So this is the context. This is the circumstance that brings all of these people together. And Jesus is teaching inside of a house, and all of these Pharisees and teachers from all over Israel are observing him, they are listening to him, and at this time he has a captive audience. At this time in his ministry, he is able to speak freely without being interrupted. This is a very important part of his ministry, where he is now going to be able to speak Without any interruptions, he has a captive audience, an audience who has put a restriction upon themselves that they are not going to speak or ask any questions. And so he gets to speak to them directly, openly, freely, without any concern about them complaining about what he's saying or rejecting what he is saying outright or openly confronting him because of what he says or what he does. And so what does he do in this circumstance? What does he do in order to take advantage of this stage of his ministry to be able to speak freely and openly without anyone rejecting or confronting him concerning what he says? What he does is he heals a man who is paralyzed. Now, in order to fully appreciate this healing, again, it is very valuable, it's very important to understand the beliefs of the Pharisees. Because if you do not fully understand the beliefs of the Pharisees, you can easily see this miracle and say something like, Oh, look, he he healed the man who was paralyzed. Wasn't that nice? Well, of course it was nice, but that's not all that is described here. That's not all that is contained here. You need to understand the context and you need to understand the beliefs of the people in order to fully appreciate what Jesus does and what he conveys indirectly through this miracle. Now, in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, it says, And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus." So here's the situation. You have a man who is being lowered down from the roof. They made a hole in the roof and lowered him down because they couldn't get him in in any other way. They probably asked people to move aside and they either wouldn't move aside or they didn't have the ability to move aside because there were too many people in this room or in this house listening to the Lord Jesus intently. They're investigating him. They're listening to him and seeing what he does. So because they were not able to get the man to Jesus, they lowered him from the roof right in the middle of everyone, right in front of the Lord Jesus. Now, what are the Pharisees going to be thinking? What are the teachers of the law going to be thinking when they see this man being lowered down from the roof who is paralyzed? How would they see the man who was paralyzed? Well, they would see this man as a sinner, 
That's how they would have seen this man. They would see this man being lowered down and they would say to themselves, look at this sinner who is being lowered down in front of Jesus. Why would they think of this man as a sinner? They would think of this man as a sinner because he was paralyzed, because he was not able to walk like they were, because he was not able to do things like they could do things. They would have perceived him as being under the divine judgment of God for his sins. Now, we don't know the circumstances of him being paralyzed. It could be that he was paralyzed for his whole life. We don't know that. We don't have enough information concerning that. But we don't really need to know the circumstances of him being paralyzed in this case because the people would have perceived him as a sinner. The Lord Jesus refers to him in the context of his sin. And so considering the evidence that we do have, I think we can say with great confidence that the circumstances concerning his paralyzation are simply not important. And so I just want to focus on the importance of recognizing that the Pharisees would see him as someone who was not being blessed. He was experiencing a form of a curse because of the fact that he was paralyzed. And so they would see him as a sinner under the divine judgment of God. Now, who is going to be able to set him free from this divine judgment if this is the case? Who is going to set him free from that? Well, the only one who could set him free from a divine judgment of God would have to be God himself, because who is going to overrule the authority of God? Who is going to say that God was wrong, or who is going to say that God has given enough punishment to this individual? Who is going to pass judgment on the judgment of God in that context? Only the divine would have the authority to set him free from being paralyzed. This was the belief of the Pharisees. And so when this man was presented before them and the Lord Jesus, they would see him as someone who was being judged for their sins. Now, they, of course, believed that they had found a way of life, a lifestyle that they could live to ensure that they would never sin. And so because of that, they believed that they were going to be blessed by God. And if they were not experiencing blessings from God right now, They believed that those blessings were on their way, that they would definitely be blessed by God. Or if they were already experiencing some blessings in their life, then they could suggest that God delivered because of their obedience, because of their repentance from their sins and their obedience to his commandments. And so because of this attitude that they would have, they would believe that they did not have a need for forgiveness. On the other hand, this man who was paralyzed they would believe that he would definitely have a need for forgiveness from God. So this belief further polarized them from this man. They sincerely believed that they were not like this man, that this man was not like them, and they believed that it was very unlikely that they would ever find themselves in a circumstance like this because they believed that they had found a way of living that was satisfactory They believed that they had found a way of living a sinless life so that they would never experience the divine judgment of God. And so because of that, they believed that they had no need for forgiveness, that they had no need for the forgiveness of their sins because they had succeeded in being obedient 
to God, that they would have no need for forgiveness. But this man here, he definitely, in their opinion, would have a need for forgiveness. So what does Jesus do? What does he say? As we continue to read in Luke chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now, this is a very serious thing to say. This is a very serious matter here. For Jesus to declare that this man's sins are forgiven, in the context, in the circumstances, in the midst of all of these people who believe that only God can set someone free from a divine judgment through forgiveness of their sins. When he says this, the real issue is not the issue of sins. The real issue is that he is declaring that he is God manifested in the flesh. He is declaring to the people using their vocabulary, using their beliefs, using their theology, using a language that they understand. He is declaring to them in a very direct way that he is the Messiah, that he is God manifested in the flesh, and he has the authority of the living God right then, right there, that there should be no confusion about this in any way whatsoever, that he is declaring openly and publicly to the people who are representing the entire nation of Israel, those from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, the entire country is covered by these locations. He is taking the opportunity during their investigation of the healing of the Jewish leper to openly tell everyone that he is the Messiah. But if you do not understand their beliefs concerning sin, concerning infirmities such as this, concerning these things, if you don't understand this, it can be very easy to miss the significance of what he is saying. But do not underestimate the significance of what he is saying here. He explains that he has the authority to forgive this man's sins. Now, we certainly do not know if this was a divine judgment or if this was a natural consequence of the sins that he perhaps committed. We don't know for certain if this was a divine judgment or not. But what we do know is that regardless of whether this was a divine judgment, in other words, regardless of whether his paralyzation is the result of his sins before God or his sins before others, whether it was a divine judgment or a natural consequence, we don't know. We don't have that much information. But again, this is not really the issue. The issue is, is that Jesus is declaring that God will not hold his sins against him anymore. So whether it was a divine judgment or a natural consequence, he is making a declaration that it doesn't matter. In this context, he is not referring to the reason. He is not referring to the specific sins, the specific reasons why he may have been paralyzed. He is just simply saying openly and directly that all of his sins are forgiven. Now, from the Pharisees' point of view, they would say that it was a specific sin that caused this man to be paralyzed. However, when Jesus says in a general context that his sins are forgiven, that is a statement that this is not just a matter of the man being paralyzed, but this is a general matter to say that all of his sins are dealt with. And so this man is being declared to be as righteous as holy as the Pharisees are, even though the Pharisees would not have seen him that way. 
That's what the Lord Jesus is declaring to these people openly and directly using their language, using their beliefs in order to show them that he is God manifested in the flesh. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 21, it says, the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? According to the definition of blasphemy, Blasphemy means that you are declaring yourself to be equal with God, that you are declaring yourself to be the same as God. And I did do a program on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I would definitely like to encourage you to listen to that one. But here they say very clearly that only God can forgive sins. And so if Jesus is saying that his sins are forgiven, he is saying that he is God and that he is God alone that he is God manifested in the flesh. Now, they were reasoning, but it does not say that they were reasoning openly, that they were discussing the matter openly, that they were asking questions openly. It doesn't say that. If you keep reading into verse 22, but Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? That's a very important thing to ask. And it's very revealing concerning these circumstances because that would be consistent with their rules concerning their stage of investigation. They would not be permitted, according to their own beliefs, they would not allow themselves to reason openly, to ask questions about this openly. They would not discuss this matter. They would only reason in their own hearts. In other words, Jesus proclaimed that this man's sins were forgiven and there was dead silence in this room. Dead silence in this house, in this area where all of these people were at. Jesus was able to speak freely, openly, and perform this miracle without any interruptions whatsoever. And then he speaks to the people there and tells them that he knows exactly what is going on in their hearts. He knows exactly what they are thinking about and what they are reasoning about in their hearts. He tells them exactly what they are thinking and he says, which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? Now he's asking this question, but who's going to answer it? No one's going to answer it because again they have put this restriction upon themselves During this phase of their investigation, they are not going to answer his question. So he answers the question in verse 24, But so that you may know that the Son of Man, which is a reference to the Messiah, the living God manifested in the flesh, has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Now, what are they going to do with this? Are they going to declare that God was in their midst? No, they weren't going to do that. They have not had an adequate amount of time to resolve the matter at hand. They have not completed the investigation of the healing of the Jewish leper This miracle is going to require another investigation of a different type, but they're going to have to examine this as well. They're going to have to reason about this. All they could do was observe what was happening, witness this, and just watch the Lord Jesus 
work. Watch him perform his ministry. In verse 26, it says, They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things today. Okay, so they were filled with astonishment. They can glorify God. They can say that they have seen remarkable things, but they will not pass judgment on the matter and say that Jesus is the Messiah. They can't do that yet. They haven't finished their investigative process yet. So they can glorify God. They can be astonished. They can say that things are remarkable. But you know what? That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if someone is astonished. It doesn't matter if somebody says that something is remarkable or not. It doesn't matter if they glorify God. That does not matter. What matters is is that God is right there in their midst. He is right there. And they are not willing to acknowledge him. They are not willing to believe in him. They are not going to do it. They are not going to do that because they have not followed through. They have not completed what they believe they need to do, what they need to accomplish in order to validate and verify, in order to give their approval of him. That's the issue. They cannot stand on his approval. They cannot rest on what he has done to openly declare his divinity. They cannot do that. According to their own beliefs, they are unable to do that. They have restricted themselves. So the Lord Jesus is not recognized as being the Messiah by the people at this point. He is not recognized by them as the Messiah, not by the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the representatives of all the people throughout the entire land of Israel. They are not able to do that yet, and this is a very serious thing to notice. It's a very important thing that I really wanted to mention, and that is that a person's beliefs, a person's attitudes, what people believe is a very serious matter, and this is an example of how serious this is and how a person's beliefs can prevent them from acknowledging the living God when he's right there in their presence. Now, concerning this issue of forgiveness, there is a concern with regards to forgiveness, because he says that the man's sins are forgiven. Now, there are many people who believe that forgiveness is salvation, and that's why this can be a very important issue. For Jesus to say that his sins are forgiven, some people would say that this man has been saved. Now, I personally do not believe that. I personally do not believe that a person is saved by being forgiven. I do believe that forgiveness is what makes salvation possible, but to me, it is not salvation. Salvation is the restoration of the Holy Spirit, and forgiveness makes this restoration possible because once you receive the Holy Spirit of God and dwelling within you, that he gives freely, once you receive the restoration of the Holy Spirit, then if you have the complete forgiveness of sins, there is no sin that will cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within you. But if there is any sin left unforgiven, well, then you've got a serious problem that has to be addressed, and that is, how are you going to get the Holy Spirit back once he leaves you? How is that going to be resolved? And so I personally believe that the forgiveness issue here is not a big issue, as other people do believe it is an issue, because other people believe that it is salvation. I don't think that Jesus is telling this man that he is saved. I don't believe that. But others discuss this statement in that context. 
In this program, however, I'm going to refer to this notion of forgiveness just by saying a couple of things. The first thing is, is that he may have said that his sins were forgiven up to that point, but of course he's going to sin again, and so it doesn't matter. The other thing that I want to mention is, is that everyone there had a need for forgiveness, even though the majority of people there did not believe that they had a need for forgiveness. Everybody there had a need for forgiveness. There was no one there who was holy and righteous before God because of what they did or what they didn't do. Everyone there had a need for forgiveness. And so for Jesus to declare that he was not going to hold this man's sins against him, to me, indirectly, he was also declaring that he wasn't going to hold anybody else's sins against them either. To me, that was an indirect way of saying that he was not there to hold anyone's sins against them. Now, if a person would like to discuss this with the living God, I'm sure the conversation would be very simple. If a person did not believe that they had a need for forgiveness, then God could show them all of their sins and show them that they had a need for forgiveness. If a person recognized that they had a need for forgiveness, then the Lord would have no need to show them all the sins that they have committed in order to demonstrate to them that sure enough they did have a need for forgiveness. There would be no need for that. The Lord could just simply exercise forgiveness on the basis of a person's desire for grace and mercy. So the forgiveness issue is not that big of an issue to me in this context because regardless of the forgiveness that Jesus was presenting, even if it was a matter of divine judgment that he was setting the man free from by declaring that his sins were no longer held against him, that he was forgiven so he could be set free from being paralyzed, even if that was the case, it still wouldn't matter because these issues are related to the flesh. They are related to this life. They are not related directly to the real issue of the spiritual condition of humanity and that once you leave this life, you are either going to heaven or hell, that those are your only two options. The Lord Jesus would not address that issue until later when he died on the cross for the sins of the entire world. And when he did that, he accomplished forgiveness in the sense that he forgave the sins of the entire world, regardless of whether people wanted to be forgiven or not. It didn't matter. The living God didn't ask anyone for permission to forgive them. He just simply said, I am no longer going to relate to mankind. I'm no longer going to relate to the world on the basis of their sin. Because if I did, then everyone would be condemned. Everyone would be condemned. No one would escape. And so to me, the real issue here is not forgiveness. To me, the real issue is that Jesus has used forgiveness, the subject of forgiveness, to reveal to the people that he is the Messiah. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website 
livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net. 